is Music Farmer. I'm Ben Grimm, and that really is my name. Just coming back from a four-day trip from New Orleans, although you need a lot longer in that town, like an entire week, because there's so much stuff to see and do. Went to Ferret Street Festival. That was a really cool street festival, and experienced some other great things that the city has to offer, but so much left undone. Just so much great stuff to go do. I have a great show with Wendy Colonna on this episode, and I'll get to that interview in a minute, but I wanted to talk about John Windsor for a moment and say what a great person he was. Even though I only met him a handful of times, two or three times, and even on the the second time we spoke, I talked about the podcast with him, and he even offered to come help me with it and tune the room and get things set up because I was just starting out at the time. So I didn't know John well, but he was a very, very cool guy, and I'm just as shocked along with everybody else, and it's a very surprising thing, and life is very short and precious. So the passing of John Windsor is a huge blow to the music community. He was in quite a few bands. Sounds Del Mar, who I've featured uh, even just a few episodes ago when I first met him, and he has been through Mike and the Moon Pies, What Made Milwaukee Famous, that's just to name a few, and he was a sound engineer at the Mohawk. I just remembered he was running sound for the Blind Pets one night, and there was only ten people in the room, but the sound was really great, the show was awesome, and I briefly spoke to John that night, and we just exchanged a few words about the Mohawk, or just music in general, So just my few short thoughts on that, and go show your love for John Windsor, go listen to some Sounds Delmar, and go to the celebration of the life of John Windsor at the ABGB, Tuesday, April 12th at 8 o'clock. All right, let's listen to some music. This is Shelter and Be Kind by Wendy Colonna, and I'll go into that interview I did with Wendy. Here you go. Granddaughter of the Merman Tall. My granny was three quarters French, a quarter Choctaw. I wish I had her gardens and the way she sang and praise. Instead, I got these brown eyes and a little tattered lace. She said, Try to remember that the sun don't always Tank in World War II. He lost all of his teeth to General Patton's shining boots. I finally come to understand the trouble in his soul by the stories that he tells us, all the ones that make him whole. So I try to
all you need Cause baby you're the best thing that's ever come to me Your eyes are like a daddy's But your smile is like the sky A wonder to behold When the clouds are passing by So just try to Stop working in the studio? Probably. No, like building this. Oh, for daylight outside. Yeah. yeah. Okay, gotcha. So we're inside tips. We're inside tips. So is it called tips because... Turn on the love light here. Not that you can see were you us. Able to, were you able to buy it with tips or is it just yep. it had some tipping? <laughs> too, too much weight on one side. I uh, <laughs> know. I, actually, um, it was it was paid for. There, the love light's on. We're ready to go. <laughs> on the air. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I had been saving up tips for years, and I had just enough to pay for pay for almost all of this funny little 1960s Avion camper. With yeah, I found it on Craigslist, and um, well, um, had been home free for two years, and. Uh, just touring and making music and living very, very, very lightly and then decided one day it was time to make a record and get a little place. Didn't want a very big place. Didn't want something that I would be, you know, kind of renting while I was on tour all the time either. That was, because I was, I'm gone, I've been gone like seven or eight months out of every year, so it didn't make any sense to live anywhere in particular, but living everywhere was good. Yeah, it's very it screams art. It's very artistic space. <laughs> and your next order recording studio. That's a plus. Yeah, well, I I'm so fortunate to work with Mark Addison. He's a great songwriter, great producer. And we have been working together for several years. We made my last record Nectar, and we're in the middle of uh working on a new record right now, and we've done a bunch of um work writing for advertising as well. Um so uh, just great collaborative partnership we have. And um, he has this beautiful property out here with this great studio. It was a no-brainer. What's the studio called again? The, the Airy. The Airy Studio. Okay. So your your job with him is you take on songwriting duties? <laughs> well, um, he, you know, when we made Nectar, uh, I guess I had came to the table with probably uh, seven or eight songs or something like that. And we took a couple out and then um, started, I'd, I'd come over and we'd, and I'd play him stuff and then he'd, he'd say, I like this, I like that. 
I think you could do this better, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and then I'd go home and do it and work on it some more. And then, um, and then he actually, when we were recording, uh, we did a big session out here with, you know, full band live recording in the studio. Great session. We did like seven or eight songs. Like it was pretty amazing. Like epic couple of days. It sounded great. Wow. So good. But then and we had to write a couple more for the record. And, and, uh, one of the songs on Nectar is a song of Mark's from a, from his older catalog called sleeping. I just, I've always been a fan of that song of his. A lot of them were just my writing, but then there were a couple that you know, I'd never really co-written before. And I was like, man, he's such a good writer. I want to see what it's like to co-write with him. So we, um, I'd like leave out the melody for the bridge on the song and say like, help me write the melody. And he's an amazing editor. You know, if the, if there's a line that could be improved, he's going to say, Oh, we can do better. So great editing. Like we can write this better. We can fix this. We can change this. Let's move this around. Let's play with it. And, um, so we did some of that one time I brought a really big bunch of stanzas and we kind of culled it down to the essence of what that song was. That was fun. And then, uh, and then we wrote the bridge together for a third one for Nectar. And then we started, um, I got that Coke ad. I recorded it out here, but I had written it, um, in California. But then, um, we started getting more advertising requests after that. And so we just made an agreement to write together and we have, so when we started on the new project, I hope this isn't boring. We started on the new project. I said, Mark, let's write this whole thing together. Let's write and produce it together. Let's just start with the concept and a container and an idea. Yeah. I've never done that before. I've always had to stitch together songs. So songwriting for K-pop <clears throat> too on the side. That's something that's happening. I did some songwriting for some Korea pop artists. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's been a crazy couple of years. I did Korea pop songwriting. Now we're doing advertising stuff. I did a um, full length song for Southwest Louisiana tourism uh, that just won a bunch of Addy awards. A beautiful video that was made by a guy named Adam Boozer and they just won a bunch of Addy awards and they're going, you know, they're going to compete on the next level with, with the, that video. It's really beautiful. It's, it's called my Southwest Louisiana home. It's been really fun doing, you know, not just my own brand, but branching out and doing a lot of other stuff with the same, it's the same talents. It's just different, you know, applications. So fun. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, I wanted to get your thoughts on and talk about the, the value of music Compared with, you know, money and time put in to making a record and versus, you know, getting returns back on it. <laughs> what are you getting at? The, the music is just okay. not valued and you just don't, people just don't want to pay for it. Okay, yeah, I can completely and totally speak to that. I was on a panel last year with, um, with the company that hired me to write the Coca-Cola song. Also on the panel was a um, woman from Spotify. Um, the moderator was from the company that hires independent acts in either licenses out independent music for ads or hires custom song writing for different ads and stuff. And there's also a lady from McDonald's and, um, she's talking about an ad campaign that they did. So it was really that's interesting. It. And that's I was, a, that's a mix. Yeah. And I was the artist voice in the, in the mix because I had such a successful time with that 
crazy good Coke ad. Um, we, music is free. Okay. Um, in terms of, you can get it free and, uh, listen to it for free and listen to everybody for free. That's okay. We understand that that's been established. It's been free for a while. <laughs> People who want to buy it can people who, uh, you know, but it is free. So you spend a bunch of money on a record. Why? Because you need it. It's a marketing tool. If you don't have a record, you don't have PR, you don't have a story. Um, and people are doing lots of different, really interesting things because at the end of the day, at least to my fans and to people who my music appeals to, cause I can't speak to them. I, I don't have a lot of spirit experience with, um, the millennial mindset. I'm learning about it right now, but it's not my direct experience. I'm older and <laughs> there's a lot of mysteries in there. Sure. <laughs> so many strangeness. <laughs> so I can speak to the value of music is still, it's just as healthy and alive and well as it always has been. Music is medicine. Music is medicine for the soul. Music is one of the most essential things to you know, having a human experience that is, you know, cathartic, well-spent, um, meaningful because music, music was the vehicle with which we held together our myths and our, in our, in our history before there was writing, you know, there were griots and they, in Africa and, 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 and other oral traditions were, um, even up to the Homeric, uh, you know, epic poems. Those were sung. These pieces of history, people's stories, the stories of the great legends, the, the tales of our culture were kept in song. I mean, song is essential to the human experience. It still has value. People still have music as the soundtrack of their lives. This is our first date song. This is our baby making song. This is our baby raising songs. These are the things by which we live and die. Songs are the things by which we live and die. They are a part of our fabric and without them we're weird. Mm -hmm. I think, I think culturally <laughs> we're not as well because songs also give us a place to go when there's nothing else to comfort us. Um, and sometimes they, whether, you know, it's instrumental or not, you know, the narrative of a song, a melody, we're made of vibrations. Everything is vibrations, you know, in the universe and songs are just more vibrations and they resonate with our, very inner being and our outer being like they're, they're the thing. So we have, it has value. It's money is a different conversation because, um, songs having value doesn't always reflect in money. And historically speaking in the history of all music, the dollar amount placed on, you know, per unit sale, of song or LP or 45 is not a very long history, but music has been around a really long time before all that. There were, you know, people in the community doing music at night after work, people in the fields singing songs to get through their work day, people in churches doing music to celebrate and mourn. And, um, it's all still what music is for. It's just the dollar amount shifting and the role of the musician is the same, but the way that they can survive is different. You know, there was patronage, um, during the Baroque era and stuff, you know, patrons, wealthy people, 
made music happen and they commissioned it for their parties and their events and for for what they thought was the greater good of culture. And I think we're moving back to a patron model, a patron-based model. It's a relate music is a relationship it's between musicians, producers, artists and community. And if music stays at the heart and as the fire in the center of a community, then community has opportunities to rally and support it in different ways. I find my most successful things are not retail sales, but are community-based events. I sell a lot of CDs at my gigs still. I mean, merchandise is not obsolete to me yet. It's going there, but it, the value of a collection of songs, I mean, I get emails all the time about this album got me through this, yeah, that, the other. I mean, I'm testimonials out the wazoo, so it has a value. Musicians just have to be resourceful about the way they make money differently, you know. Just because you're an artist of the independent nature. Well, I mean, you know, these days, big artists are doing crowdfunding, which just continually points back to if patrons are given the opportunity and they feel fed by something, they will show up and help the artist create it. It's nice to, for me to have other jobs that involve music to be able to, you know, pay for more music. It's expensive as hell. And it's really, Mm -hmm. really hard to recoup on your investment if you're looking at it. But I don't believe that investments are directly reciprocal in most things in life. You know, you do a good deed it gets paid forward. Someone does you a good deed. Not everything is based on reciprocity, but everything is based on vibration and momentum and intention. Like if you're doing good in the world, good comes to you. It's just the way it goes. If you're making good music, you'll get a Coke ad. <laughs> like agree, that Coke yeah. ad, that sideswiped my entire Nectar release. It was a much bigger thing, but I didn't create it. I had just kept showing up and this licensing company believed in my catalog. That's what happens. Or it has happened for me. You know, people give me other opportunities in music. And that helps me to pay for the music. But if I hadn't laid out my shingle, if I hadn't created the music in the first place for people to have the feelings that they had to make them believers or feel like they want to be a part of it, you know, then those other things wouldn't have shown up. Yeah, the charity the charity healing aspect of it is is so very important and you know pulling a community together and then seeing and making that work well i think of patron patron is less i don't think of it as charity because i feel like it serves um both directions yeah it's not just serving the artist the artist making their music is in a vacuum is it is they can do that on their own dime but if you're serving community with it and and the community is getting something out of it think about grant writing think about um you know, there there are things that are not specifically charitable because, oh, the poor musician can't do it on their own, but, oh, I want this musician's message louder. I believe in what they have to say. I want more people to have this, have this song or this medicine or this thing that is the music they make. You know, for... I have this favorite local band called the Bell Sounds. Oh my gosh, their music is my favorite. It makes me feel all kinds of things. And when I went on the road um, the last couple years, I was staying with lots of different people. A lot of people put me up. Friends, fans, good, good stuff. But for Christmas last year, I bought like 35 
Bell Sound CDs and I sent them to everybody who put me up. I don't call that charity. I call that, you know, patronage. I call that me buying a bunch of That's albums a great idea. from a band that I love. A great thing to do. And gifting what I love to people who have loved me. That's patronage to me. Black Fret is an amazing example of patronage in Austin. Um, also, well, Black Fret, and I'm a nominee this year, which is super cool. But it's a group of music lovers who join at a certain yearly rate. And they have exclusive events that happen throughout the year where they get to see both the nominees and the winners performing. And they get to nominate and um, vote for these musicians. And all the musicians walk away with a grant to make more art. So the musicians also participate in, you know, giving back to the community in so many different kinds of ways, whether it's teaching or writing or, or playing for a charity. You know, it's really cool. And that's great patronage. You know, that's a community rallying around another community. It's not just individual artists. It's the idea that, you know, these grants are providing opportunities for artists who are vetted to, to make more art and do it well and serve better. How long of a process do they have to go through with Black Fret for something like that to happen um, to get to that So, point? let's see. Um, I was nominated last month, which is February. Maybe uh, the nomination started in February. I guess we found out in March, early March, that I that we were the nominees were select you know selected, and um, in the fall. So there are many events that happen throughout the year that are Black Fred events, and the you know all the all the musicians who are nominees and some who are already winners, or, you know perform these events and then um they also do other events that are set up through black fret like if like let's say you have a charity and you want music and they call up black fret and you say i'd like a musician for this event that we're having and black fret will say oh well let i think so and so is a good fit and then would you like them yes okay and i think the way it goes is they they'll pay you an honorarium to play the event so black fret will fund your performance for this thing so it's really that's a really good system they do grants and then they do this and then in the fall they vote and um in the in december they announce okay mhm and then you have to unlock your grant so you don't just get a pile of money you have to actually do things and work with the community. Like certain achievements along a calendar. Yeah, you got to write kind of... songs. You got to go do events for other people. You've got to, you know, do your due diligence and continuing to, you know. I think it's a cool world we're living in right now. It's weird and different. <laughs> Very strange. It was like, where is it going? What's happening? It <laughs> moves so fast. So fast. And that's the other thing is if you're, you know, if you're making art. And you think you're going to just, I'm going to be an artist and make art for me and do it in a vacuum. Fine, you better have a trust fund. <laughs> but, you know, because you, you know, as an artist these days, it's not, it's not like that. You can't just, you know, do that. There's a tiny percentage maybe of artists who can do that, I guess. But they all have to do, you know, interactive things. They all have to learn about, um, not just show up to your radio interview and, you know, get your work out in. Everybody's got to work. Everybody's working, and it's kind of beautiful to see that we, you know, you can't, you didn't cut it to just be a rock star and loaf around. You got to have some hustle, hustle, and know your people. 
yeah, you got to care about yeah. care about the community and care about what your music makes people feel like. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I guess you don't have to, but it helps to it have would, your fi- would, to have your help. finger on the pulse of what's going on. Exactly. <laughs> well, so let's go into that. Talk about the Coke commercial some, and and yes, that that Louisiana tourism video. But you're saying the Coke ad sideswiped Nectar right when that. I mean, it was right po- that it was a positive out. sideswipe. It's just like, you know, I believe life is so funny. Just when you think you've got it all figured out and you've got your plan. Exactly. Something better or worse shows up and unexpected. You got to adapt and change. In this case, it was a, you know, hey, can you do an ad for this thing? It's due yesterday. (laughs) Okay. I was in California. I had had my managers uh, and I... We had uh, dinner and we played games with her daughter. And then I went into the office and got my ukulele out and watched the video. And in 30 minutes, I wrote the song, sent it. So you had the video. They sent me the video. Put a song with that. And it had to be a 30 second or one. It had to be editable to a 30 second soundbite. Oh man! So writing tiny songs is really interesting because you have to get right to the point. It has to be catchy, and it also, for me as a songwriter it had to capture the essence of what was happening in that video in an authentic way that didn't feel like marketing. Yeah. You know, not cheesy because if my voice is on it, I got to like be able to say, yeah, that, yeah, I don't want to be embarrassed. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot going on with that because you have to look at all those things. Yeah. Because it's a Coke ad. But luckily, you know, I had a pretty good education in writing and you know, walking away from writing a gazillion papers in an undergrad thesis saying, okay, what is the thesis? What is the, what is the, at the core of this video? What is the message? You know, it, it's saying something visually. What is it? And it's like everyday moments, the joy of everyday moments, not, not fancy moments, but everyday moments. The balloon goes up by this, by this window and you see the family doing this. And then it goes by this other one and you see a couple dancing in their kitchen you know, everyone was like sharing, sharing life, simple moments. So I wrote a song that reflected those feelings in a real authentic way. And, you know, we were in back and forth with the ad firm and did some edits. And then we did the final cut here at the Airy. And um, we had launched a national release of Nectar. And we had just gotten a Wall Street Journal pick from you know, for South by Southwest and all these. So there was already a lot of buzz happening with Nectar yeah, going on. Yeah, a lot of buzz going on with Nectar. And then, like, boom, throw the Coke thing in. Huffington Post gives us an interview. And, you know, there, there are more doors opened from it. And so it was it was completely unplanned. But it and was, congratulations. Thank you. It was really sweet. And then the summer after, Southwest Louisiana Tourism, which is where I grew up, a friend of mine over there said, we are making this beautiful video. It's the first of its kind. And you are the songwriter. We want to do the song capturing the essence of Southwest Louisiana and all the beautiful things. And I was like, Oh, sign me up, girl. I was like, I just did this for Coca-Cola. And she said, what? I didn't know that. And I'm like, you didn't, <laughs> it's like at the front of every movie, <laughs> but it was great. Cause I love doing those custom songs. They're so fun to write. And Mark and I are a great team. We wrote a bunch after that Coke one. We just partnered up and, and started doing them together because when I'm on the road, I mean, I'll be in an airport and I'll get an email and it'll say, we need this by tomorrow or two days from now. 
And so I'll forward the email to him and, and then we'll immediately, we'll both like, he'll be gardening out in the garden, singing into his phone when he gets an idea and I'll be in an airport <laughs> bathroom and I'll jump on my phone and sing a little voice memo and we, we send the ideas back and forth. And then when we get back together, uh, we cut the song or even we'll cut it remotely. Like he'll record, he'll start, I'll pick a key to sing it in and he'll start tracking here and building the tracks and then I'll sing into, you know, my setup with my computer and he'll, we have a totally, you know, we can work remotely and build these songs in tiny times. I'm, and we're actually about to launch a business called, um, summit custom songs and, and basically share with ad firms and other folks who want custom songs made. We can do them. Is that something you prefer doing right now is making those songs and having, having that kind of immediate pressure and um, fun doing that compared to just gigging and just playing shows? Uh, I like it all. <laughs> okay. I really like it all. I like meaningful gigs, and um, I've really gotten away from doing... Um... Just a bar? Yeah. You prefer playing mm -hmm. house concerts, right? Well, That's... I like theaters and house... I like, I like where the audience can have a good listening experience. If, if that's not a possibility, then I feel like somebody paying a cover is going to get ripped off. Yeah. And I feel like if the music is supposed to have value, you have to create the container in which it can do that. You know, you're not going to plant a seed in fallow soil and water it a bunch. You know, it's stupid. So putting music in an appropriate container is really important if you want it to grow in the hearts of the people in the audience. Like, it's There's such a uh, deeper impact. Absolutely. And it doesn't all, you know, some rock, you know, I, I go see punk rock shows. I, I love punk rock music and I know that that's a really different container than the container that where, where, you know, but Hey, it's all about knowing, you know, what kind of space is going to serve your audience and the, your ability to do your job. And, and I've just become really aware that lighting matters, creating, you know, creating a specific space where listeners can have an enjoyable experience. I mean, if you're going to charge 10 or 15 bucks a head, hopefully you'll give somebody 10 or 15 bucks worth of pleasure. I mean, shoot, a couple Starbucks coffees gives people that much pleasure. So I'm hoping <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about the, uh, you have a song, some songs playing in Starbucks. Oh yeah. Starbucks. Right. And I when I was, when I was interning, <laughs> when I just started interning, for you um, a couple of years ago we were we one of our first meetings was in a starbucks and you told me like that was a goal at the time you wanted to get just to it's like i just want to see if i can get one of my songs played in one of these oh my stores God. you That's remember that so funny yeah, yeah i remember that <laughs> you know it's really funny i i'm in the process now of dreaming new dreams because so many of my dreams have come true in the last few years i've set the intention i've figured out some of it was just by happenstance. Starbucks contacted me. Okay. I actually contacted my publicist at the time. It's the same time we had the Coke ad. It was just all this stuff converged. And, but I think it has to do when you set the intention and you really put it out there and not just dream, but like really start to think about like the hows. Sometimes it'll just surprise you and land on your doorstep without you having to do all the legwork and 
I think you still have to show up and do I work every day some days I work 16 to 18 hours a day I'm working with my team we're making sure um, we just built a brand new website that was a lot of work yeah, I saw that. New new look on the website. Totally. New website, new album, new home, porch, deck, roof. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're building out um, relationships in, in, in the business right now, growing our team so that we can launch this new album in a way. You know, working with Black Frat. I'm really excited to work with their advisors and um, and participate in their events. Like, I work all the time. But I think, what is it, what does it say? Uh, success is where luck and hard work intersect, something like that. Yeah. Something like yeah. that, you know. And you're also a really positive person, so it's kind of hard for, I mean, some good things have to happen eventually. <laughs> I hope so. You put off that much, There's some that dark, many positive vibes. I've had some dark times. And in those dark times, uh... I wasn't being authentic with myself and emerging from those dark times that um, became at the core of my belief system of, you know, because there was a lot of times when I didn't trust my gut and I let pretty talk seduce me into making poor decisions when my gut was saying, no, no, don't do this. <laughs> was there a record? Was there a time or... Was there a record specifically you want to say when when that what you're referring to? Uh, well, there were just a I won't I won't be too specific, but there were just a bunch of promises made um, and uh, things that weren't followed through. Um, both with uh, "Right Where I Belong" and "We Are One," both of those records kind of really positive, good records, but. The, the journey afterward was really rough. Um, you know, I had a booking agent quit right after we put like a big hunk of money behind uh, a national release of Right Where I Belong. Had a good distributor, had all the key things in place and the booking agent jumped. And also I got asked another weird opportunity. Like this was back when the reality singing shows, there was only American Idol and then they started the one with NXS. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. And then they had the next version of that. Rockstar was the name of it. And the next one was when they were putting a band together with Tommy Lee and Jason Newstead and all these people. And that, I got the final call to go do the final auditions for that right the same week that we were releasing Right Where I Belong. And, you know, what are you going to do? You have to go out to L.A. and do it, but you couldn't tell anybody. So my publicist, like, it sucked because... So having to tell a lot of lies. I had to cancel tours and I lost my agent and that tour tanked after that, that record tanked. And when I got to LA and I went, I was like, Oh, I don't want to be in this band. <laughs> I don't want to play heavy metal music. I don't want to rock hard. I want to roll. <laughs> and it was, there was an inauthenticity going on. Like I felt it was inauthentic. So I, my gut said, Oh, you knew you needed to do this, but you also, oh, maybe, maybe what, maybe you just threw away another really cool thing. Well, you don't ever know, right? And nothing against them. I mean, they were just doing what was making them money and, and what and was keeping their business alive. that kind of thing happens all the time, doesn't it? Happens all the time. That's why it's like, you want to be on a label, you want to, you know, you want to get the PR and do the stuff on from a label. But then once you kind of set things up, you, you ask yourself, like, 
well, do I want to be on a label if I'm low priority for them? That's like getting married to somebody just because you want to get married. It has to still be the right relationship or else you're going to suffer. Yeah. So I always trust my gut now. Like if something feels really good and lights me up, I move toward it without doubt or questions. Because if my body starts to feel the hum of joy and resonance, I, I just immediately walk toward that thing. I don't sit there and use my mind to calculate the whys and hows. I go, I guess I need to move in this direction. Made me figure out my time frames on when I can or how I can. Sometimes I have to wait, but I always make a note like this is making me excited. I need to move toward it. When something is making me feel icky, I totally bail. I just, yeah, and I don't sit there and rationalize it. If it incapable even if it, like, of being fake or just playing along with something, man, like you said, unauthentic. Life is really short. I, I, don't, I don't know how people do that for an extended period of time. I don't either. I got really sick. I got a sort of like a weird fungal lung infection out in Arizona and I couldn't shake it. And then I got everything that came my way. My immune system crashed. It scared the tar out of me. I was looking at death in the face and asking myself, why was it for music? Was it, it wasn't an authentic relationship with my, with my music and my business. So I quit music for a while for several months. And then I got a phone and I said to the, to the world and the universe, I said, if you want me to do music, I got other gifts. I can do these other things. I want to serve in my lifetime. I don't want to suffer when I could be serving. And so if I'm supposed to do something else with my life, I'm cool with that. I surrender. Like, let it be known. I'm wow. done. Yeah. I, I quit. I was just like, I quit for now. And if you, universe, world, God, whatever the heck, forces that be, vibrations out there, want me to do music, if I'm supposed to be doing this, I need it to be abundantly clear and abundance by money abundance by easy abundance by things that, that just felt in my body like it was completely like i couldn't say no and then what happened ring ring would you like to write for korea pop what <laughs> um okay <laughs> we'll pay six hundred dollars a song all right let's do it just lyrics you don't yeah. even have to write melodies okay great well tell me about your connection and your experience in belgium in that time. Belgium. I love Belgium. In 2003, I was on tour with Guy Forsyth in Belgium, in the Netherlands. And um, we played in a town called Arduille. A gentleman came up to us after the show, was a fan of Guy's. And he says, if you want, I can take you on a tour of um, the trenches. Um, he, he knew that, he knew that maybe Guy, Guy did a song called Christmas in the Trenches. It wasn't his, but um, this gentleman, Conrad, knew about that he had done it. And he says, oh, if you're interested, I, I'm a, you know, I can take you around all the World War One sites and show you where this happened. And so we, and he says, and also I have a whiskey table at my house. Would you like to come over? And we said, we sure would. <laughs> we went over and had sips of lovely Irish whiskey and became friends with this gentleman named Conrad. Conrad. And, um... He uh, later became uh, he's really close uh, with 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 Guy and, and and with myself and stayed in touch over time and tour managed for Guy when Guy would tour over there and um, eventually invited me please come please and whenever you're ready to come to Belgium I'll help you put your tour together and so I did uh, 
2008 and was good and and in 2009 and that was good and 2010 I was really sick when I went over there I had been really sick the next year I went by myself solo and Conrad had said um, oh well, I know some musicians maybe they'd like to come play with you at one of your gigs. Um, I was like, okay. It's like, I'm inviting them all over for a jam. I was like, ah, jamming. No, no jamming. <laughs> <laughs> but they all came over and they were great and really unique. Two harmonica players, um, beautiful female singer, Kimberly, um, Jeffrey and, um, Eddie were the harmonica players and Tom, this is great. Western swing, uh, and a gypsy jazz sort of guitar player. And some songs started coming together. Yeah, we just, uh, I just picked some songs, and most of them showed up to most of the gigs, and about five gigs in, on the eve of my 30-something birthday, um, we're like, let's go, record, let's let's make a record. Like We cut a seven-song EP in one night, and, mix, and then had my birthday party the next night, and then mixed it the next night, and had them for sale, um at the next shows and the recording was paid for by the end of that tour. It was kind of crazy. I've never had that happen. Yeah. <laughs> Usually it takes me two years to pay back a record break even, you know. It's really magical. We have a little YouTube video of kind of what happened. Some really nice videos. That band's a cool band. But uh, I went back and did a couple tours. They came over here and did a tour. And then, um, and then I made Nectar, so I haven't been back since then because I've just been kind of Working, working a lot over here. Everything kind of blossomed after that Lazy Bones thing. Wendy Cologne and the Lazy Bones. That was really cool. That was a good omen, too. It was another one of those positive experiences after being mm -hmm. sick and quitting music. And just like, here That was a big healing big time. Big healing time for me. Great. It was easy. That's a great story. And fun and sweet. And I knew that I was being led into these sweet places. And, and you know, I didn't have any lapse of faith because it felt so right and magical and there's mag been magic in my life ever since all the time really weird well that time you were spending in the tetons just those photos i was seeing they always looked like you were just in the middle of nowhere where you were you were out there working or is that more of a yeah i work i work out in jackson hole every summer i've worked there this will be my well the first time i went was for 10 days i have a buddy over there <laughs> i have a buddy over there I've known since college, Pete, and he says, Wendy, you need to come out here and work. You need to come out here and gig. Nobody sounds like you out here. You'll do really well. There's lots of gigging in the summer. Tourists everywhere. What does everyone sound like out there? Well, just, um, it's, it's a tiny town. There's not a lot. There's a, there's a handful of really good bands there, but they don't have a swampy Louisiana girl yeah. singing, you know, okay. soul Americana. Not exactly. Um. Although there's some really good, good, good chick singers I've gotten to know, and some good female songwriters, and and just a good, I like that community. But it's not a very big one, and there's lots of places to play in the summers. So he's like, "You need to come up," and I, "Oh, I got a boyfriend, I got a tour, I got this, I got that. I can't come, I can't come. I'll just come through for one night." So I'd go and I'd gig there, and on my way to California, and I'd only spend one night. I totally didn't get it, and then I went for ten days, also following that collapse of my life um, must have been maybe the next summer 
It was. It was 2012. I went for 10 days and I went, oh, I get it. Put a band together, had three or four gigs during that 10 day period. Loved it. Fell in love with Jackson. Fell in love with the Tetons. Fell in love. I mean, my eyes had been opened. I had maybe taken a lot of things for granted before I got sick. And then after I got sick, I was so awake to life. And I think maybe that, and, and then Pete says, see, come back next summer. I said, yep, I'll, I'll be here. And I, we recorded Nectar that next spring. So during the summer, um, we were working on the artwork, the liner notes, you know, getting all the, the website, all the pieces together to launch Nectar. So it was a perfect time for me to go up and tour up to the mountains and play, play uh, private events and resorts and Oh, I opened for different bigger acts on, you know, festival stage type things. It was great. Six weeks that time, two months the next time, two and a half months the next time. And this year I'll be there for two months. Um, we'll be finished with this record um, pretty soon, like mid-April. And then we'll just be working on getting the record for a fall release ready. So I'll go back up to Jackson Hole and... You know, same thing. <laughs> a gypsy in Wyoming. Oh, it's, it's glorious. Yeah, that is very cool. It's it's the purest... And the mountains are great, too. It's so beautiful. I haven't been there, but going off your photos of your times there... I'm really in love. I have... My red, wedding ring finger has the Tetons silhouette <laughs> on it. It is... I am really in love. That place offered me a tremendous amount of healing, too. And I... And I really love it. I love the yoga community there. I like that I can work every night and still manage to hike, bike, yoga. <laughs> you know, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. It's a good place to go and get, get well, especially when you're road weary. You know, I, I get pretty ragged out. I, I run, you spend a lot of time on the road. I run hard and fast and I'm getting better at it, but you know, it's hard on your body. And uh, Jackson Hole is just a beautiful place to go and be alive in nature. So do you want to say anything else about that Southwest Louisiana tourism video? Oh, so sweet. I really love where I come from. It's really a unique cultural experience. And I felt just, all I can say is I felt really honored that they asked me to do that because... Selfishly, I enjoyed writing it because celebrating something you love and, you know, getting commissioned to do that, that was cool. And I just felt so honored that they picked me. And I, I felt like working with them was such a great collaboration. Another thing, I felt great, you know. I knew it was a good fit because everything worked wonderfully together. I wrote drafts on airplanes back in Nashville, flying to Nashville, going to the Americana conference, coming off tour from Jackson, writing the first draft of the song on an airplane, sending it in and, you know, having a meeting about that. But luckily I'd had a bunch of experience doing the, the other ads, but I was also my first experience of being a producer. You know, I went down to Louisiana and recorded it at a, the first studio I ever recorded at in high school. <laughs> Um, that studio <laughs> still exists, and I worked with an engineer and a good bass player friend of mine, Matt. And I, I think I read in a previous interview you said you had 
get that was a full circle made. It was. It was the first time I ever recorded was in that very place, and it was so full circle. There I was producing a song that celebrated Southwest Louisiana at the first place I had ever sang into a recording setup. Oh my gosh, what what a beautiful like full circle. And your family has a farm there outside mm. Lake Charles? Yeah. Near? My mother grew up on a farm in Lake Arthur, Louisiana, which is south of Jennings. It's about midway between Lafayette and Lake Charles and then south, about 11 miles. And the farm is beautiful, beautiful big farm. And there's one area of the farm where my great-grandfather built one house and then took a big other farmhouse from a a field. They rolled it over on logs down the dirt road at the time, put it on the property. And while my grandfather was away at, um, at war during World War II, I guess my grandmother was having too many babies to be living with my grand, with her parents. And, <laughs> and they were like, okay, we're building you a house. <laughs> so they mm -hmm. got this other farmhouse and rolled it down the road. He was a great carpenter and he built this, he added on wings to this other house. And that is the house that my mother was born in. And my great-grandparents is down the way. And the whole piece of land, that 11 acres, is covered in gorgeous, mature live oaks dripping with Spanish moss. There's a canal that runs behind it with alligators in it. It's like picturesque Louisiana stuff. Yeah. And um, when I produced the Southwest Louisiana Tourism Song, I lived there. I went and lived at my grandparents' house and just lived out in the country and soaked in because they've, they've since passed and nobody's living in the house right now. And, oh my God, what a joy. And then I came back that next January and spent a lot of time with my family and wrote, started writing songs and uh, working on that. And when that was when the big PR launch went with the Southwest Louisiana Tourism, so I went. I did a bunch of radio and television stuff. But it was cool to live there for two months. Being home free has its advantages. You yeah. could just go live at your grandparents' empty house on a farm and hang out with the hawks and the owls and the man, that was cool. So where are they where are they focusing that that video or where are they trying to get it out the most? Well, um, it's been showcased all over the place. They use it to I mean, it's a the best business card for that area because you get a visual yeah. You know, it's about the food and the celebration and the way of the culture and the beautiful wildlife and fisheries in the area. And the song talks about all that stuff, but the video really captures it beautifully, too. I mean, the video is so well shot, so well edited. It was so fun working with them to create a narrative that just felt so authentic. And they show it, you know, when they go to... After working with the Austin, Austin Convention and Visitors Bureau hires me to be a musical ambassador for Austin whenever they go to tourism conferences. So sometimes I'll get the good luck of going out to Chicago or D.C. Okay. And um, I'll be the... I am the face of Austin music. I'm playing music at this thing and hosted by Austin Convention and Visitors Bureau. So I see Austin on Windy Kelowna Day. So yeah. what's it like having your own day? Oh, my God. That's coming up <laughs> April 26th. It is. Da, 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 da. Very cool. <laughs> I don't know. It's all funny to me. I just want to keep making music and I want to just keep making music that makes people feel good. All those other things are awesome and funny and great and make me really feel well, good. Well, you get to yeah, be an ambassador of two places. That's, I know. That's, that's a, pretty neat. Yeah. 
Yeah, and authentically. I love this town. I've invested a lot in Austin. I was thinking about moving away because, um, you know, other music cities have lower cost of living and more opportunities in money-making areas of the music business. Austin is known as a live music town. But I came back to my community over and over again from those tours. And I'd fall in love over and over again. And I'd be like, damn you, Austin. <laughs> yeah. I love you. Why? But I'm in the perfect place now. I like living out in the country, but close to the city. It suits me well. After spending time at the farm at my grandparents and time in Jackson Hole, I realized that country living was for me. I like being close to the earth. It, It's really nurturing. And when you go hard and fast with your job all the time, you need that rooting. Absolutely. You need that earth. I don't know how Quiet, long. at least quiet, at the very least. Well, we got part. a cockadoodle chorus out here and a pack of dogs, some peacocks that live yeah, around I was here. greeted by a pack of dogs when I got out. They're so little, sweet. I'm, I'm glad I uh, grew up with big dogs, otherwise that would have been really intimidating. Yeah, they're lovers <laughs> for the most part, unless you're a creeper. And, and there's a, a community back here that has live sort of Cajunto and Tejano music on the weekends. Mm-hmm. It's it's country, but it's pretty lively. Eclectic. It's fun. I love it out here. Is there an is there an exodus for musicians and artists going to Nashville? I kind of overheard that in a bar the other day. Um, I think a lot of Austin artists have started building relationships in Nashville because there's a lot of business there, and it makes sense. I really love Nashville. I thought about it long and hard. I almost moved there. I love it. It's beautiful. It's great. And East Nashville is a really cool, growing area, full of artists and musicians and cool people, great culture. I love Nashville. It it really appeals to me. I would like to have more time in every day to spend, you know, a little time in Nashville more often because it's a great place. But I think there's an effort, and I believe that with a positive, Austin is growing rapidly. There, There's so much growing here. Knocking at the door. Hey, Billy, I'm in the middle of a podcast. Country living. <laughs> Neighbors are always dropping by. Neighbors are dropping by. Um, Austin is growing. I have to believe that the musicians can grow with it. Right now, there's some really bleak circumstances that one might walk away saying, there's no way this is going to happen. We can't afford... It's... With live... If if live music is the mainstay, then... I mean, we have so many venues now that have national acts, and we have so many new residents who don't... Let me put it to you this way. The challenge lies in this. It's about branding the Austin music scene as a vibrant, healthy, beautiful thing that is unique, special, and worth patronizing. Back to patronage again. It is a really... There's great music here. Great, amazing, world-class music here. Um, <clears throat> when we need the support of KUT, 
if it's going to call itself the Austin Music Experience, we would like to be included more in their playlists. There's things like that that would be really helpful. And some parts of their what what they're doing are kind of fading a little bit. They're you know they're focusing on a lot of programming around what's happening in the larger venues that are national touring acts and the festivals that are national touring acts. Nothing wrong with them. They're great. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love these new venues, these big, wonderful events that we have that create revenue and, and everything. But I just wish that we had a, a little bit more representation as an authentic Austin music experience in these places because we do have great value. And, um, my friend is a, my friend uh, was a nanny for a while for a family, and um, her boss, they were listening to the radio one day, and she said, man, I wish they played more local programming. And her boss said, well, it must not be any good. If it was good, wouldn't they play it? And I think that's the mindset that we have to shed some light around, because mm -hmm. new people yeah. moving to Austin don't necessarily know how great it is. They just don't know. It's the, it's They not, just know it's a big party and they, think they don't quite, quite get it. They Yeah, like national acts, we certainly, marketing-wise, is silly for us to try to compete with these big touring acts, but being visible would be really, you know, cool. Um, Black Fret is doing really good work with the community in that respect, you know, but I think we need to and we're working with the city to try to rebrand this and there's meetings being held in. I'm a big believer when I decided to go both feet into Austin last October, I decided to go with both feet into Austin, not just to reap the benefits of Austin, but to invest in Austin as a city that I want to live in music wise. So I'm, I'm invested. I, I want to be a part of that conversation and build the bridges between the things that are thriving here and the music community, because I, I believe in it. I think it can be done. Well, that's what I hope to accomplish by doing this podcast and pitching in and doing my part and, you know, just trying to support and promote and help, you know, like you're saying, build bridges. Yeah. It's cool. Keep it, keep it out in, in the world. It's so good. It's so important. I think you're doing great work. It's a well, good conversation to have all the time. Music is, is life, you know? next to water. I was just kind of thinking about that listening to the radio yesterday or the other day, an interview on, on the radio, it was probably Sun Radio, and mm -hmm. kind of that thought of like, well, I wonder if people really get, just get tired of maybe all these conversations about music all the time. It's, you know, just talking to an artist like, well, this is what we did in the studio, this is my writing process, <laughs> we put the record out, it's like, does that get old? But it maybe it does get tiresome or beaten a little to death for some people, but it is, we love it, whether we kind of get tired of it or not, we like everyone, we're always in tune to that, and we want to hear those things. Yeah. I, we always want to keep hearing about artists and, if we, and artistic processes. Oh my gosh, because if, if, if a song or an album or moves us, we want to deepen that relationship in every way that we can. You know, when I, I was listening to the Beatles the other day when we were doing a construction project out here. And there were things that I heard that I had never heard before. And it made me want to just, like, stop the presses and, you know, watch 
docs or videos or just to see, oh my God, I never heard that whatever instrument in this song before. Oh my God, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's always an amazing thing when you, or you've heard a band or a song many times or for a long time and you find, and you just, something pops out at you that you've never noticed before. Yeah, and because we're in the middle of making a record, my ears are tuned into that. Like, where does this come in? Where does this go out? Where does, how does this support the song? How does this yeah. draw away from it, right? So, but if you're feeling something... And you're just like, whoa, you, yeah, you want to know. It's fun. It's great. It's like, you know, it's art is, is like that. You know, you want to know what a painter did to, you know, how many layers of oil they did to get this thing. that looks so amazing because it makes you feel a certain way. I mean, how do you get a bunch of vibrations and instruments together and some things make you feel and other things don't? That's, that's cool. It's a cool conversation, I think. I mean, there's music that I listen to and I go, wow, I can respect all of this and I don't feel it. And then there's music that I hear and my logical mind goes, this is nothing special. And my feelings go, oh my God, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. That's all fascinating inner dialogue, you yeah. know? We grow. <laughs> we grow whenever we think about music in those ways. And, I mean, if personal growth is important to you, then I don't think it's ever an old conversation. Exactly. I like that answer. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of windy, but it's all right. Well, thank you for doing Music Farmer, Wendy. Yay, Music Farmer from the farm. From the farm. Yeah, it's it's nice doing it out here in the country. That's yeah. a cool... I like that. <laughs> it's a good spot. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, be kind. That's all. Great words. Thank you, Wendy Colonna. Thanks, Ben. Very awesome. Thank you, Wendy Colonna. And the house concert out in front of Tips. The day after I did this interview, the night after I did this with Wendy, was the icing on the cake. And check out wendycolonna.com. Go to the eeriestudio.com. That's A-E-R-I-E, eerie. And look at those things. I'll leave you with that. That's the show. Episode 17 is a bit of a mystery right now, up in the air, but something great on the way. Up on-